Darren Dialosa. That name may be unrecognizable, but if I introduce our guest as Clank, we all know who's here. Clank, good to have you on The Antidote. <laughs> Thank you for having me today. I've got to tell you that I'm a long-term fan of the music of Clank. I bought my copy of your first CD, Still Suffering, when it came out in 96. How does it feel for you to still be creating new music two decades later? <laughs> I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, it's actually pretty cool, though, because um, luckily um, we get a lot of letters still from people and messages now at the joy of social media um, about people saying that, you know, our music was like the soundtrack to their adolescence and stuff <laughs> like, you know, so it's just it's awesome. And it's also kind of weird at the same time because it's like, man, you're making me feel old, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was like, like we said, 1996 when it came out in November. And here we are all these years later. Like I started originally in, in 1993, December of 93 is when I wrote the very first Clank song, Animosity. So now it's like, I'm really, really feeling old. <laughs> <laughs> well, before Clank, you were with Circle of Dust. That's when I actually first heard about you. They were also doing the industrial. Has that yeah. style always been your passion? Yes. When I was with um, Circle of Dust, it was... Um, that was really like my first introduction to like the electronic industrial aspect. You know, I was good friends with, with the guy who was uh, the singer on the band and he was turning me on to all these cool bands like Ministry and Nine Inch Nails. And I was just drawn in because I was like, man, there's these heavy guitars and these super dancey electronic beats. It was like, you know, like this weird mix, like this shouldn't work, but it does. And it was like, for me, going down the rabbit hole, you know, it was like, I want more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, because the, then the more electronic and crazy you could get and then mixing with the guitars and stuff, it was, it just seemed like endless possibilities, you know, like you can make something that's super heavy. You can make something that's super slow and brooding and just have a nice foreground of like keyboards and audio samples and noises and blips and it was just fascinating to me you know and i i was really drawn into it and like you said here we are all these years later and still making music so <laughs> yeah because clank came into the industrial metal scene right at its peak and that must have been brutal for you here it is a new band trying to get recognition in the middle of a hot music scene yeah, it was cool, though, because Circle of Dust was a, a good springboard for me because uh, I was still with Circle of Dust when the concept of Clank first came out because I originally wanted to do something more like death metal-y electronic, you know? But then I was like, you know what? I just don't want to be pigeonholed with just being one specific super heavy genre. I wanted to have, like, the death metal aspects, the metal aspects, the heaviness and also like the melodic vocals you know i didn't want to just be stuck in one thing and there was so many bands booming back then like i said ministry nine inch nails and you had bands like god lives underwater and stabbing westward and it was a great time for music especially electronic based music you know there was so many killer releases that came out and it was pretty cool to be you know in with those bands you know like yeah we had to, did have a little fight a little bit for our own recognition but you know we did a lot of heavy touring for like months at a clip and we were very well received and like i said it kind of had a built-in audience from uh, circle of dust so it was a good catalyst for me to launch the clank stuff 
Well, really, even in those days, I don't think anyone was ever going to mix up Clank with Ramstein or Nine Inch Nails because you were putting out a very different sound. Yeah, but you know what? A lot of people, though, they still didn't really know what to classify it. Like some towns we came to and they were like, oh, you know, if you like Nine Inch Nails, you should come see Clank tonight. And, you know, I get it because, you know, we did definitely draw from influences, but we also did our best to remain genuine you know you might be able to hear a little fear factory here and there or some prong or something but at the end of the day we had our own style so a lot of people just they just filed us under that well if you like rob zombie nine inch nails and ministry you'll like these guys which you know it, it worked for us but it was cool that you know all these years later to kind of carve our own niche you know anytime i talk to people they're like you know you guys have all the elements of of this and this and this but you really don't sound like any one band and to me and to you know pat and eric the other guys it's definitely uh a compliment to us because you know you, it's good to draw from your influences but you don't necessarily want to sound like a carbon copy of somebody exactly and i think that's what drew me into your music back in the mid 90s you signed with tooth and nail records for your original clank release still suffering okay so tooth and nail i mean obviously that pushes you into the realm of christian music but a lot of their artists weren't really very comfortable with taking on that label and i heard that you also had problems with that well because our music was it was different so it was heavy like basically our music dealt with real life themes you know i I write all the lyrics so and it was about life how i saw it how i felt it how it affected those around me and you know i was going through some pretty heavy stuff at the time so i was tackling subjects like you know alienation um suicide you know loss of family members you know questioning god and his existence some people were super stoked on it, but other people were very hesitant, especially in in the Christian market, because, you know, Circle of Dust wasn't a Christian band per se, but they were on a label that was predominantly Christian. And when a deal was offered to me, it was like, hey, you know what? I'm a musician. Um, somebody's offering me a chance to make music and, and they're willing to pay for it, to put it out. You know, I'm a go for it. And, you know, it kind of bit us in the butt a little bit in the beginning because it was... It's weird now because it's way more acceptable to be in a Christian band or a band that has Christians in it now than it was like 20 plus years ago. Because there were people like that were very like, I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about this. Even if you necessarily weren't being preachy, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was definitely different. But, you know, it was cool to be on a label like Tooth and Nail was exploding. It was blowing up with bands like, you know, MXPX and... All these other bands they had that were, you know, punk. It was mostly punk, ska, and hardcore. And, you know, there was only one other industrial release on there, which was a band called Chatterbox. It was cool for us because we didn't really sound like anybody else on the label either. So they did put it in Christian bookstores and they put it in regular stores. And it was funny because the owner of the label would be like, hey, he'd call me up and he'd be like, we got a bunch of returns. People said that the artwork was too dark. I'm like, really? And they said, yeah, it wasn't bright enough. They thought it was just too dark or there there was no positivity. I'm like, really? I'm like, all the songs are positive. I'm like, you know, it might be wrapped up in a a heavy package. You know, I don't know. I I always saw things differently in that respect because I grew up in a stereotypical point-again Christian household where you couldn't listen to anything unless it was Christian. So I was like... 
I'd have like, you know, my Striper albums and my whatever, Sandy Patty albums or whatever. And I would be sneaking in Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin that my cousin would lend me. You know, I'd stick <laughs> it in the album sleeve and I'd listen to it on headphones because I did not dare let my parents hear. But it is what it was, you know. <laughs> well, with all that being said, there was a faith aspect on the Still Suffering release. I guess I'm oh, thinking, you know, I'm thinking of songs like Wooden Soul and Burning. But I suppose the message, you know, was sort of veiled. You just didn't want to push your point? Yeah, but Sam, as I said, Burning was like kind of questioning God. It was like, I know you exist, but where are you? Especially for myself, I was questioning things back at that time. And I've always liked to do things that have like a surface meaning, but then there could be like double entendres. You know, like on the surface, it might seem like one thing, but if you dig a little deeper, you know, you might get a little more out of it. It was great because people would be like, oh, this song on here, to me, uh, it's totally about this. I know you wrote the song exactly 100% about this. I was hesitant to tell people originally what my meaning of every single song was, only because I didn't want to taint or ruin anyone else's interpretation or meaning they got out of it. And meanwhile, you know, it, it wasn't even close to what I originally meant when I wrote it, but that's the joy of music. It's open to interpretation. People get what they need out of something, you know? And a lot of people get the music and some people didn't. I mean, there was a lot of people that just, you know, I don't get this whole heavy music with danciness and how can you throw a dash of spirituality or, or Christianity in there to like, you know, like they just couldn't comprehend it. And I was like, you know what? It's all good. You know what? Maybe you're just not meant to get it. Maybe it's not for you. You know, I mean, not every band is for everybody, you know? Exactly. And I suppose really in that era, that was where it was just starting to switch from where any type of an artist with Christian faith would have to put out something very obvious. So there was absolutely no question about what their intentions were. That yes. was just where it started to switch and you could become more veiled and have multiple meanings. Yeah, because a lot of the labels were pushing for that straight, what they called CCM, like contemporary Christian music, you know, like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, top, I do know that. 40, yeah, the top 40 of the Christian you know, you have like your, your DC talk kind of bands, your Sandy Patties or Petras or anything like that that were super upfront with their message, which was cool. You have to stop and, admitting that you actually listened to Sandy Patty. Cause, oh, no. Because otherwise, I, I, I just have to stop this call. I didn't say that I technically listened to it. I just said <laughs> I had it. Because like I said, in our house, it was like, my parents were like, they would go to the bookstore and they'd be like, this is what you're going to listen to. And I'd be like, oh, no, this is horrible. Like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like the same thing now, like, I like everything from Abba to Zappa, you know, but my forte is more on the heavy side of things. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that play in Christian bands and I love them dearly. And a lot of these bands are really awesome. And then again, you know, there's a lot of bands out there that they're just not my cup of tea and I don't dig them. And I mean, I try to listen to as much stuff as I can that's like uplifting or positive. But just because an album is Christian doesn't mean I'm going to listen to it because, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there and there's a lot of bad stuff. You listen to the radio and you might go, oh, there's like three great songs out of four hours worth of programming. You know, it's like you got to kind of fish through and find what you like and what you don't like. And I like to listen to, for the most part, stuff that's, you know, edifying or at least, you know, building people up. But I'm not going to go out and spend all my money on these albums, every album that comes out just because it's Christian, because a lot of it I just, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of. I definitely appreciate what they do. I have so many friends that play in so many great bands like, you know, Living Sacrifice and uh, 
you know, my friend Jim is a drummer for for Deliverance, and they have a new album coming out. And there's just so many great bands out there that you can actually enjoy that are on like totally on par with like regular bands. You know, there's a lot of kids and people today. They say, "Oh man, you know, I, I listen to like you know Kill Switch Engage or Iron Maiden or whatever." And a lot of times they're looking for something a little more edifying. Or, you know, like if they're in a situation like I was in where, you know, they're, hey, man, I'm in a Christian household and I, as much as I'd love to listen to this, I can't for fear of, you know, getting my butt kicked. So <laughs> I need to find something else. And so there's always good bands that you can recommend, you know. Absolutely. Of course, you're coming on to a show that's totally suited to you because the tagline of the antidote is Christian music that doesn't suck. Yeah, and that's pretty cool, though. I'm sure you get tons of submissions, and you have your ear to the ground to see what's out, and you know, like you know, what you like, what you don't like, and you know, and you you know, like you hear those albums where you go, "Oh my goodness, this is just like, it's so monumental for you." You're like, everybody has to hear this because this is just so amazing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and tonight we get to reveal Clank to the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like that about the new Stavesacre. I don't know if you've heard it. It's so good. And I've known Mark and Jeff and Sam for like 25 years or something like that. And it's so good to see old friends putting out like such high quality music all these years later, you know? It's so great. Absolutely. Same thing with the guys from Believer. Like Believer this year is celebrating their 30th anniversary. Like if it wasn't for Believer, there would be no clank because... I used to come home every day and listen to Extraction from Mortality on vinyl. And I would play my guitar, trying so hard to get those riffs that Kirk Bachman was playing. And it was like, for me, it was like, ugh, you know, challenge accepted. I'm going to learn to play like this guy. And like, hands down, he's my biggest influence and made me want to be a better guitar player. Just because I, you listen to those albums. I mean, especially now, look at 30 years later, you listen to it sonically. Um, performance-wise and technically, it's like, those guys were so far ahead of their time. And they're still releasing new music. They're releasing five different installments of new music this year. You know, they've already released one of five and the second one, two of five. I'm sure you probably know because yeah. you've got your ear to the ground. But, oh, my God, dude. It's just, it's so good to see them still doing stuff, you know? Yet another example of a, a killer band that's all these years later that still putting out quality stuff. We've got to talk about Clank itself. The band has had these huge long gaps between releases. Like I mentioned earlier, you released Still Suffering in 96. The Nelm album came out in 2000. 2007 had the EP In Memory Of. Then you did Numb Reborn in 2010 and Urban Warfare in 2012. And of course, this year you brought in the new album Rise. Why the long wait between releases? I don't know. You know, it was like, at one point, like, we were doing so much touring and playing that, like, after the Numb album, the business side was just sucking the life out of what we were doing. I mean, we had left Tooth & Nail Records, and we were booking ourselves. We were recording album ourselves. We were doing videos ourselves. We were basically doing the indie route before the indie route was the cool thing to do. Like, now everybody goes indie because, you know, there's only a handful of labels left that do it properly and it was a big undertaking because, you know, in the early 90s, it was easier to make money when you were doing music. It was easier to get paid for your craft. In the digital age, it's a lot harder 
if you're independently wealthy or you have like, you know, 15 or 20 grand in a marketing budget, you can still do fairly well, but it's a lot harder these days because not as many people buy CDs. A lot of people buy downloads. You know, there's still purists that have to have that hard case CD, which is cool. But, you know, now like streaming, like if you listen to any song by anybody on Spotify or whatever, you get 0.00002% of a penny for every song stream. These people are making millions of dollars in ad revenue and they're paying their artists like way below scale, like horrible uh, wages. But that's that's how that played out. But for us, it was like we got kind of burnt out on the business end. And then in uh, 2007... Uh, a friend of ours, uh, this guy named Zach, who used to come to all our shows, like he was killed in a car accident and his mother had hit me up and said, hey, um, at the Cornerstone Festival, there's a stage, sanctuary stage, and um, we're hosting a, a day of metal in remembrance for Zach Shirts. Would you be willing to play? And so I said, well, we haven't played in a while, but let me talk to the guys. So I called up Pat and everybody and said, hey, look we got an offer to do this, you know, would you be interested? And I didn't really know what to expect. And they were like, absolutely. We loved Zach. You know, Zach's, Zach's family used to take really good care of us. They had their campsite. They would, you know, constantly invite us every meal for food. But if we were sitting at the merch table and we couldn't come to them, they would bring trays of food and desserts and drinks and snacks to us. They were so awesome. So we were like, we would love to honor this guy, you know, and at the time, it's funny because I was working for Ringling Brothers and I was a transportation manager, show welder, fabricator. Oh, so you ran and away so, to the circus. Yeah, I kind of ran away to join the circus. Um, but it was funny because – so we said, you know what? If we're going to do this, we should probably bring some music with us. So I took like uh, two weeks off from the circus and we went to New York to record with uh, Pat and um, we did the In Memory Of EP and – then after that, it was like I went back to the circus for a while and worked. And then I left the circus in October of 2008 and then uh, moved out here to California. And then we were still kind of sending ideas back and forth to each other. Pat was constantly sending me like, you know, programming guitars and drum ideas and stuff. So we just, we just basically continued on like at a slower scale. But then... Um, Pat ended up moving up out here from uh, New York. Uh, Eric, the drummer, who was originally in a band called Everyday Life, he was living in L.A., and then he moved up here. Um, so we've been, you know, since 2010, like, just pretty much working at it hard, trying to continually release music. Between 2010 and 2012, between, uh, you know, Num Reborn and Urban Warfare, it was a little bit of a gap, but we didn't really want to rush we're one of those bands where, like, we over the years, we've amassed a bunch of gear, and we're fortunate enough to have a studio of our own. Like, Pat has so much gear at his house that it's a blessing and a curse. You don't have to pay an exorbitant amount of money per day to be in a studio, and you could be a perfectionist, and that, you know, can be a blessing or a curse. You can get to that point where you're like, okay, this sounds good enough. We need to move on to the next thing. But, you know, you always want to make something better, and we're all super perfectionists, so we kind of dragged our feet a bit. Um, we've been doing so much multitasking right now. It's funny because we're going to have so many releases this year within the course of a year. We have Rise, which came out. We're releasing the score that we did for Bruce Moore's movie, Metal Missionaries, which we were totally stoked to be a part of. Um, we also been working on a Rise remix EP, which has a bunch of remixes and a bunch of new music, you know, some cover songs, some original songs, a bunch of remixes. 
then Pat and I have a um, a really dancey synth pop kind of project. It's kind of like Depeche Mode meets Gary Newman meets God Lives Underwater. You know, nothing heavy. It's all just old school analog synths and fat drum loops and and that's called synth pop lullaby. We have that which is coming out. So we're going to essentially have, you know, by the end of this year, two to three more releases popping out. <laughs> so this is going to be a big year for us <laughs> release-wise. So I think we're going to make up for that gap over the last, you know, couple of releases. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, and it's funny because, like I said, we're one of those bands that, like, it's feast or famine. Like, when we're doing something, a lot of times we're just so engrossed in it that now it's like, you know, we're meeting up multiple times a week. You know, like just Sunday, I was at uh, Pat's house and we cut vocals for a brand new Clank song. The previous week, we did we finished up some synth pop lullaby stuff and some Clank remixes. We've had so much going on at one time. It's been a little nutty, but it's great. Pressure is kind of good sometimes. You know, it's it's definitely stressful, but we work pretty good under pressure, especially if you have a deadline. So we've been really pushing hard to try to get as much stuff done as possible. You'd mentioned that you were a guest on other people's recordings. On Urban Warfare, you pulled in a superb guest, Doug Pinnock <laughs> of King's Axe, for the song Something About You. What an incredible guy with an incredible story. But you know what was interesting? King's Axe was on the edge of the Christian music scene, but was totally dumped on when Doug revealed that he was gay. That was totally unfair because Doug Pinnock is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet on the face of this planet, hands down. I've known him like... 25 26 years and he's literally the person that changed my view on gay people because like i said i grew up in a really strict born-again christian household they didn't hate gay people obviously you know because they were christians but they weren't tolerant of them and it was very non-supportive you know and it was very shunned and so i had a very distorted and a skewed view of that you know like they were bad people they were horrible like you know it was it was really rough. So Doug, single-handedly for me, just over the years of friendship, this guy is an amazing guy. And then when he, he told me that he was gay many years ago, it was like, oh, really? Like, I was a little taken back at first. And then I was like, you know what? Gay people aren't, like, scary and bad and, like, all the things that they were kind of made out to be. And, you know, a lot of people in the Christian industry, they can be very judgmental. I mean, anywhere in life, there's people that are going to agree or disagree you know, on whatever the topic is, especially these days. But I love Doug very much, and I, it's it kind of sucked to see, you know, the kind of getting raked over the coals he got from a lot of people and getting shunned from it. But you know what? I mean, what a perfect example of a great person. Like, I don't know anybody else that's so loving and so nice. And when we did Urban Warfare, I reached out to him and said, hey, dude, you know, we're we're doing this album, and we have a song, you know, would you like to sing? Would you like to be a part of it? And he said, absolutely. He goes, ironically, I have like a week free in three weeks. You know, if you make a, a plane ticket happen for me, um, I'm cool. So Doug Pinnock spent six days on our couch, dude. So it was like, <laughs> so for me, it was like, that was like having rock and roll royalty staying at your house, you know? And Dude, this guy cooked insane ribs, and we had like crazy barbecue, and we had friends over, and and it was funny because I was sitting there getting like working on the grill, and he comes over and he like hip checks me and he goes, "Move over, white boy. Let me show you how it's done," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he and he gets on the grill, and 
man, it was it was just awesome. What a great guy, and what a blessing it was to have him around. And especially for us, like you know, my wife and I got to turn him on to like Doctor Who and a bunch of shows he had never seen. It was very relaxed, very laid back, and it was really awesome for us because the day he had to leave, you know, we were getting ready to take him to the airport, and he says, you know what? He goes, I really wish I didn't have to leave. He goes, I love you guys so much, and I had so much fun here, and it was so low impact and no pressure, you know, because he's so used to pressure with everything he does, and people are very demanding, so we wanted him to be at as ease and possible. On one hand, it's kind of hard because, you know, you're friends with the guy, but you're still, you know... 20-something-year-old me is still totally psycho fanboying out that Doug Pinnock's on my couch and cooking me dinner, you know, but at the same point, it was like, it was great. I think you should have adopted him. <laughs> oh, if we could have, dude, we totally would have. He's just, he's just so awesome, you know? He's just such a great guy. Well, you know what else is great is I love how The Sound of Clank has been described as dancey, aggressive, electronically-infused groove. I mean, that fits perfectly. How many people dance at a Clank show? Um, a lot. Some of it's like moshing and slam dancing, but there's a lot of bouncing around. You know, I mean, it's cool because we've played a lot of places where people just kind of always seem to throw us on a metal bill. So you'll have like death metal and black metal bands and whatever. And then you'll look out like on the crowd and you'll see all these different types of people from, you know, all musical walks of life. And then, you know, you start playing and they kind of look at you, you know, like our intro starts, the fog machine goes, the strobes and the lasers are going. And then you just kind of look at some of these people, like the look on their faces and they're like, what's going on? You know. <laughs> but then by the end of the show, you see people bobbing and, and it's like we always, for the most part, win the audience over and people always come up at the end. They go, you know what, dude, I don't really dig dancey stuff at all, but you guys are not like anybody else. And I really like what you do and uh, you totally won me over. And so for us, that's like one of the most awesome compliments that you can get. And luckily we get that like pretty much every show we play. We played some crazy shows where there's people just kind of literally standing there with their arms folded, looking at you with that like inquisitive, like, huh, I don't know about this. Like, should I walk out? Should I not walk out? And then, you know, two songs into it, the head's bobbing, you know, and then by the end, they're totally into it. And it's a great feeling for us to be playing and, and seeing, like, literally seeing it happen as you're winning people over. And they're like, you know what? You guys are different, but it's good. It's great for us. Even if it is dancey, I mean, much of your music goes to the dark and rough sides of life. Is this the stuff that you're dealing with personally? A lot of it is. I mean, like, especially if you listen to Rise... I write all the lyrics and the lyrics are a lot of times about like what I'm dealing with and what I'm seeing people around me deal with. And I'm no different than anybody else. I've had my problems with my own demons in the past and I'm very transparent. I like to write about what I see and feel. And it's like the same thing. Like when I post online, like I, from, I try to be open and honest and transparent with people because I like to throw everything out there and say, Hey, look, I'm a human being and I'm not going to put up this, you know, fake aura of, oh, I'm in a band and my life is great and all I do is make music and I don't have to work a job. You know, I like to be real. And so I tell people, hey, look, this is what I'm struggling with. This is how I'm dealing with it. And, you know, a lot of times I just do it basically because if somebody else is going through the same thing, hopefully they can like learn from my mistakes and not make the same mistakes or at least get something out of the music. You know, songs like The Damage, the last song, 
that song's about like uh, addiction. People suffer from drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you know. And I've uh, I've had my hard partying phases in the past where I was up way too many days at a clip doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And, but luckily, I mean, I got over all that, you know. And my wife actually played a big role in that. A lot of that for me, it's it's like autobiographical. Like like if you listen to the lyrics, it says, you know. Um, I know firsthand the damage. I felt it in my veins. I will not make excuses, only myself to blame. It's like you have to admit you have a problem. You have to own up to it. And I just basically literally put it all out there. A lot of people don't realize that, but that's there, you know. And like having dealt with suicidal thoughts myself growing up, like just before Still Suffering came out, I mean, that's what disease was about on Still Suffering. That was about suicide. And on this album, we put out. Um, the beast within because we've had so many people take their own life because of suicide. And it's sad, dude. It's so sad because people end up in this really dark place and I get it because I've been there. But uh, if you haven't been in that place, a lot of people just, they're very judgmental, especially like Christians. They're like, well, just get over it. You're depressed. Just get over it. They don't understand it. Like unless you've walked a mile in someone else's shoes, you have no clue what it's like. And sometimes these people, like, all they want is the pain to end. They just want it to stop. And to them, that's the only way out. And it's really sad. And that's why, like, that song was written. And, like, Only Human is about our humanity. You know, like, you know, no matter what you gain in life, it's all going to burn. Like, you basically go out of this world the same way you came in. Like, doesn't matter what you gain, what you steal, what you buy, toys and trophies and cars houses it doesn't matter you can't take any of it with you when you go and it's just that's what that song is about a lot of the stuff is just very straight up front some people don't see it as positive but i find it very positive and i've gotten great feedback from people that said man i'm just so glad that you guys are still recording because you you write stuff that touches me inside and you're just writing music that you're writing as a musician you know you write stuff like for me and Pat and Eric, we write stuff that we think sounds cool. You know, like, hey, this sounds good. This sounds good. Let's put these lyrics to it. This sounds good. But when somebody else gets something out of it besides this is a good tune, it's amazing. It's like this weird euphoric feeling that you really can't explain when, you know, it hits people really deep and they relate. And that's one of the things with our listeners. Our music seems to strike a chord with people. A lot of times it's people who are been oppressed and beaten down and, and they've had really hardships in life. You know, life isn't easy. Life was never guaranteed to be easy. And we need to, you know, like, just like built to survive and, and bring me down. Like, we deal with everyday issues. But at the end of the day, we're not going to let it hold us down. We got to get through. And all these years later, you know, it's just great to talk to people and get messages from people saying, man, dude, you know, you guys just put out another album. And Again, you know, hitting me right in the heart. And I'm just so glad that you guys are still doing what you do. And for us, it's really emotional. I'll sit sometimes reading messages from people on Facebook and I'll have like tears streaming down my face. My wife will be like, what's going on? You know, and then I'll, I'll read her this person's message. And it's like, you know, and it's, it's crazy because some people say, you know, dude, I was going to commit suicide, but I didn't. I was listening to your music and or I've been in a really bad space mentally and you know, your music, I don't know why, it just spoke to me. And it's not about us. It's just how it came across to them. And I'm just happy that we can help people out. I mean, you listen to top 40 stuff on the radio or whatever. I mean, not taking anything away from those artists. 
a lot of times, a lot of that is very happy, bouncy music. A lot of it doesn't have that kind of impact, or at least that I've seen. So for us, it's, you know, it's flattering and it's just super humbling, you know, for people to get that much out of it. Or, or you know, when someone comes to you and says, dude, I was going to kill myself, but your music played a big part in me not doing it. And it's like, what do you say to that? You know, like, how do you respond? It's just... You know, I I, <laughs> I get I get super emotional. The older I get, the more emotional I get. So I just you know I can't help it. And I totally get that because Rise is an emotional release. You know, especially with the songs that you're describing, like the Beast Within. Yeah. You know, and of course, as you were talking about too, about being beaten down, because much of Rise gets into how people are beaten down. You know, by others, by society, by themselves. You know, there's the one line it says most days it's like another beatdown that we all must endure like it's someone's twisted game and they're out to set the score so is that how the title track came about pretty much pretty much and that's like i said that's the one of the constant themes in clank music like bring me down rise like even on urban warfare you know built to survive you know, every day we're going to take the beatings and we're going to get back up. You know, we might crawl, we might stumble a little bit and we might be kind of shaken, but you know, life isn't easy. We're just going to, we're just going to take the hits and, and keep getting up and keep pressing on because that's what we do. That's all we can do. You know, I mean, we need to just continue on until our lives are over. You know, we might get beaten down at times, but it's all about perseverance and pressing on. And that's, that's why I said Clank's music has always been positive in that respect. You know, some people don't see it, but, you know, like you get it. Some people go, man, I, I listen to Rise and, ooh, you know, it gives me, you know, goosebumps going over the lyrics and stuff. And I'm like, man, that's that's great because that's what it does for us, you know, like writing it. And it's about real life stuff that people go through. That's why people are drawn to it because they can relate. You know, I mean, we've always taken pride in our lyrics and our music. And like since day one, I've always said, when people say describe Clank, I say Clank is where the mosh pit meets the dance floor. Our music is basically like a page from a journal or a diary, but set to music. You know, so it's got that kind of vibe where it's very personal. And because that's just, you know, where my head's at when I write. It's not like I can um, pick a subject where you say like, okay, world peace or hunger or whatever. Um, you know, I, I can't like sit down with a t- with a theme and write from it. It's weird. There's many people that can. If you say, oh, I write an anti-hunger song or an anti-suicide song, people can sit down and just spit out the lyrics. And for me, it depends on the music. When we're working on something, I'll, you know, we'll go over rough drafts or whatever. And if I don't have any lyrics or whatever, the melodies will start coming to me. And it's like usually these random words and lyrics just kind of hit. And I usually like to go with the first thing that hits me. And then sometimes it's like this faucet turns on and you just can't turn it off, you know. And then these lyrics and stuff come. And I'll usually look to Pat because he's usually like the one sitting there with me. I'm like, hey, what do you think of this? Blah, 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 blah. And he'll just go like, dude. We need to record that right now. Don't forget it. Let's record it right now, you know? (laughs) All of this gets summed up in something you've been quoted as saying about the music of Clank, that it's sonic therapy. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot cheaper than going to a therapist, in my opinion. (laughs) But you know what? I mean, as a human being, like I said before, I struggle with my own things, and I have struggled. I mean, just because someone says they're a Christian or claims Christianity doesn't mean that you are 
not going to suffer or struggle or deal with, you know, crazy life issues. A lot of times you're going to deal with them more because you're making a conscious choice to try to live a Christ-like life or you're trying to, you know, uphold a certain standard of living. So it's like, I think a lot of times it's harder when you're a Christian and, and I, like I said, I struggle with things and I deal with things and I always have, and music has always been my escape. I mean, as a little kid, it was like, you know, uh, my parents had their bitter divorce and things were crazy. And that's like the song leave on still suffering. That's about the day my mother left. If you go back and look at those lyrics, it says, you know, um, with tearful eyes at her, I stare a sorrow. That's too much to bear. My heart pulled out before my eyes, a touching way to say goodbye while holding on to her last kiss. I bid farewell and wave my fist more like that. Cause it was literally, my mom said, Hey, I got to go. This is over. And I love you guys. But you know, and then she gave me and my brother, Jamie, a kiss and she turned around and she walked out the door. And I remember like that last hug and that last kiss. And then it's that whole, like, why, you know, like shaking your fist. And, you know, it's been my therapy because I don't really know how to express my feelings any other way. And I've always found a way I found peace and comfort in funneling and channeling all these feelings through music and the lyrics. And to me, like I said, that sonic therapy is the best way to describe it because I mean, otherwise I don't think if, if I didn't have music as an outlet, I'd, <laughs> I'd probably be in an insane asylum or I'd be like on some <laughs> therapist couch, you know, like they say, talking about things is great. Yeah. And, but you know what? I'm talking about things, but I'm talking about things to a wider audience than as opposed to sitting in a therapist's office. And like I said, you know what, if somebody else can get something out of it, great. And that was the whole thing in day one. It was like, hey, man, I'm going to do my, my first album. This is going to be great. And people were like, you know, what do you want to achieve with it? And I said, I, I don't know. I just want to make an album. But if at least one person gets something out of it, then psh, to me, that's great. Because I know I touched at least one person. And over the years, to touch so many people is like, you know, it's humbling and mind boggling. And it's just crazy. It's amazing. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't stress that fact enough that when someone else relates to something that you write as an artist and it hits them that deep, words really can't do it justice, you know, at least on our end, it can't because it's, uh, when people tell me that to my face, I just, I get all like, you know, mushy and I'll end up like hugging them and tell them, dude, I love you. You know, thank you so much. And they're like, you know, I, I don't want to freak you out by telling you this. I'm like, no, thank you. It's great to hear, you know, just to, to know another person that was touched in one way or made a positive effect in one way is it's monumental for us. And it just feels so good to know that, you know, people are still listening and our music is still having an effect on them, you know, after all these years, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you need to record the music that makes you happy as an artist while being conscientious that, people are listening now like you have an actual audience and you know some people want the heavier stuff some people want the melodic stuff some people want more dancey and less guitars other people want way more guitars and less dancey so it's like you're aware of all this but you still need to be true to you and and what you're feeling as an artist we've always pretty much done whatever we wanted to do and it's just so great that along the way people are listening and are still interested that's all true and rise itself artistically has had most reviewers claiming that this is your best album and i know it's obviously it's hard to step back and critically look at your own work but would you agree with them i do and for us it's awesome because still suffering was groundbreaking at the time and i'm not totally don't want to sound um egotistical by saying that but a lot of people 
have held everything we've done since then and been like, well, this is a great album, but it's no still suffering. Not everything is supposed to be still suffering, you know, and it's like you you're supposed to be able to advance and, you know, grow as an artist or whatever since then. But at the same point, I think musically, sonically and everything, I do believe that this is our strongest release to date. I mean, still suffering, obviously, because it's my very first one will always hold a super dear place in my heart. But I love the way Rise came out. And I know Pat and Eric does, too. And we're just super proud with it. You know, because I mean, especially as a producer and a recording engineer, Pat, you know, I've known Pat like 20 and again, like 25 years or something like that. And we have such a great recording and writing relationship that it's like he's grown so much as a, an engineer and a um, producer. Sonically, this album shines, you know, I mean, again, like I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but it's just when we actually sat back and we listened to the mastered version, we were just like, wow, dude, that's us. You know, <laughs> you know, cause at the end of the day, you have to be a fan of your own music. You know, you have to be able to appreciate it. And it's not like, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, once we're done with an album, it's kind of like, you really can't listen to it for a while, especially when you're mixing. We'll listen to like rough mixes and demos and pre-production demos over and over and over and over and over and over. I don't even know how many thousands of times I've listened to every song on Rise to the point where it was like once we were like, okay, this is the final master. We're all 100% in agreement. It can't get any better than this. Then it's like, okay, we send it off to manufacturing and it's like you can't even look or think about those songs for a couple of months just because you spend like a year and a half, two years like – so engrossed in it where it's like almost like overkill because you want the product to sound as best as you can and like you know again having your own studio you you listen to every noise every sample and listen to every you know word i uttered and can i do this better this sounds a little flat this is this pat can we fix this let's go in and do this you know after a while you have to draw that line of like okay this is good enough but we were all in agreement and we were just so stoked the way it came out and you know, I just actually recently listened to it again. You know, the hair on my arms still stood up in songs, and I still had those feelings of like, oh, oh this is so good. Like, I got <laughs> to listen to it as a fan and not like, oh, I made this. It was more like listening to it without prejudice, you know, listening to it like a blank canvas again. And it was like, you know what? I really dig this a lot. It makes you proud, you know, especially because this album's been so well-received and this album has sold really well compared to the other ones. And, and we put out an anti-suicide video uh, for The Beast Within, and it's on Clank Facebook page. And we were just under 11,000 views in, in just over two weeks, which is insane, dude. And what we did with the video is pay tribute to friends, family, and loved ones that have been lost to suicide. Personally, I've lost eight people during my lifetime to suicide, which is crazy. It's insane. There shouldn't be that many people taking their own lives. But like I said earlier, they get into this place, this mindset where they feel that's the answer. Um, so we wanted to bring awareness to it. And we reached out to our friend Anthony, Anthony Herrera, who does all our artwork now. He's done Urban Warfare and he's done Rise and he's helped us design shirts and stuff. And we said, hey, dude, you know, you want to take a stab at a video, but we want to do something that brings awareness you know, so he said, well, let's, let's, why don't we memorialize those that we've lost? Cause he lost people. Pat lost his best friend. That was his old bandmate to suicide. I lost all these people. My wife and I used to work with these two women at Ringling Brothers and both of them ended up 
taking their lives within a year of each other, which was really sad because you're talking about two beautiful people that basically couldn't find any other reason to live. And it was just really deep, you know? So we, we worked on this video like for months, man, because we wanted to tackle the subject, but we wanted to tackle it with love and respect. You know, we didn't want to, um, do anything that was going to trip anybody out. So basically, you know, Anthony came up with a, a storyline about how, you know, this guy basically, he gets up, he goes to his mailbox and he's got all these past due bills and he thinks his wife is cheating on him and he gets a ticket on his way to work and then he's getting chewed out by his boss. All these things are just compounding and then you see him like he's taking pills, he's drinking. At one point he has a gun and he's going into his yard and he's contemplating suicide and a friend comes to him and just is a friend to him, talks to him and metaphorically talks him off the ledge, so to speak, you know, like puts his arm around him and says, Hey man, I'm here for you. I'm here to listen. Let me talk. Let's talk, you know, put away the gun. The video ends with the guy putting the gun down and the guy puts his arm around him and then they walk towards the house. But we made sure at the end we have like all the, you know, contact information for um, the suicide hotline Great. and the text number, because a lot of people, they say, I don't want to talk to somebody. And so now in the, the technology age, you know what? If you don't necessarily want to talk to somebody on the phone, there's a number that you can text help to. And, you know, because a lot of people find it easier to sit behind a phone and not actually physically talk to somebody. You know, they it's a lot easier for some people to text, you know, so at least you can have that interaction with somebody and talk to them and get the help you need or at least that lending ear to help you through the situation and, and hopefully, you know, talk sense into you and let you realize that, you know, it's okay to struggle. People do struggle. It's part of human nature, but you know, you don't know what the future has in store for you. And it, you know, suicide is never the answer. Then would you say that that song, the beast within was the most personal for you? Um, pretty much, especially after having so many people, like I said, that were friends, you know, I was like 18 and the guy that I grew up with, that my neighbor ended up killing himself. And then after that, like, it just seemed like one after another over the years taking their lives. And it was so sad. And that's why we were like, you know what? People need to know that they're loved and that people are listening, you know, and, and it, 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 it definitely hits home and it's very personal. And it's like, honestly, like when we watched the final version of the video, like I was bawling my eyes out. And I'm not going to lie, like I was crying like a baby. And then I showed it to my wife and then she was sitting there in tears. Basically what we did on the chorus is, is we had, we took pictures of the people that we knew and I put a post out on Facebook and said, Hey, look, we're doing this video, but we're going to do it with love and respect. And if you've lost somebody and you want them memorialized in this video, please submit a picture to me give me the information, you know, the year they were born, the year they were passed and they will be included in the video. And, um, it was very well received. Everyone in the band ended up like, you know, crying. They can't help seeing it without getting teared. And I don't know how many times I've watched it. And I still, I cry every time I sit there with tears in my eyes. Cause I look at all these people, like people I've known and loved and all these people who I don't know, but I totally feel for, you mm -hmm. know, the people that were submitted. And it's like, it's really sad. You know, I mean, there's no worse feeling than losing somebody you love, especially to something like that, because they felt that there was no other alternative. And it's really, really intense. And and Anthony, the producer guy, our friend, was very he was very hesitant at first to release it because he's like, man, I think we did a good job. But he's like, I don't want anyone to hate it. And I don't want anyone to be offended. You know, luckily, 
you know, we, we have not gotten any bad feedback on it whatsoever. And people are just like, man, you know, it's powerful. It's moving. It's, it was necessary, you know, because people just need to know that, you know, you don't have to, you, you know, you're going to struggle and that's fine and normal, but don't take that kind of action. And people need to know, like, if you see somebody and you think that they're struggling, talk to them, you know, uh, and if you are struggling, reach out to somebody, it's okay to talk to people, you know, and like people, people are always afraid that, you know, they're going to look down upon them or be like, oh, well, you know, they think I'm suicidal. So they're going to think less of me. No, you're human. That's all part of the package of being human. People suffer with all kinds of different things and it doesn't make you any less of a person, but just, you know, definitely talk to somebody before you take any kind of drastic action. You know, I can't stress that enough, especially like for myself, like before still suffering came out, if I would have ended up taking my own life, I obviously wouldn't be here talking to you, wouldn't have been able to impact all these people over the years. And I wouldn't have like the fallout of what I would have did to my family and all my, you know, the nephews and nieces and everybody that's been born since that time. I wouldn't have had a chance to experience any of that or be married or anything. It's crazy. You know, you know, when you think of the shoulda, coulda, woulda, or what would have been, or what if kind of syndrome, Luckily, I'm still here, and people need to know that they're loved and they can reach out so they can have a, have a fighting chance at life. You know, just it's better to talk to somebody and you know try to work things out than you know take a drastic measure like that where there's only one outcome. You know, and it's so sad. Absolutely, Clank. I am so glad that you've been able to come to the antidote and share about this. Thanks a lot for coming. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the airtime for Clank. We really appreciate it.